Good morning. It's April 12th, and welcome to Doing Life, daily devotions for finding peace in stressful times. This is the audible companion to the book of the same name. This morning's topic, He is Risen. And if you can't tell already, this was Easter in 2020 when this devotional was first written. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered over to sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. Luke 24, 6. A few years ago, our former pastor had given his usual Easter sermon, and it was as inspiring and uplifting as ever. At the close, he asked rhetorically, believing he was quoting scripture, quote, Why do you look for the dead among the living? Unquote. This was in preparation for his closing shouted declaration, a yearly ritual, He is risen, to which every believer knows the response, He is risen indeed. But that year, he stopped himself right before that final joyous proclamation. Wait a minute. Did I just say, Why do you look for the dead among the living? The congregation murmured and some chuckled and some called out, Yeah, you sort of did. The pastor stood stock still, flabbergasted. I think I've said that wrong my entire life. And when you think about it, it's sort of a significant error. Let's try that one more time. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is risen. And a thunderous roar came from the 3,000 congregants. He is risen indeed. It's ridiculous. It makes me cry right now. Easter is by far the most significant, most joyous celebration of the liturgical calendar year. I realize it won't be celebrated on this date every year in the future, and people reading the Doing Life April 12th devotional on this date may not be celebrating Easter that day, but perhaps this will remind that future reader of the Easter when the world was hurting like never before. Yes, there have been multiple plagues that killed more people, the most recent of which was the Spanish flu in 1919. But now, with the world infinitely more interconnected via the internet and overseas air travel, no matter the mortality rate, the draconian methods to contain the outbreak are taking a massive toll on the world's economies and have drastically altered every single facet of society. For the Christian, the celebration of Christ's resurrection after dying on the cross in our place is, in fact, a celebration of hope. And hope seems one of the many things in short supply at the moment. The Apostle Paul defines faith for us in Hebrews 11.1. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Our hope, our only hope, actually is in our Savior, Jesus Christ. That hope is salvation, our reunion with the Father. When Christ died for us on that cross in a sacrifice we in no way deserved, he took our sins on himself and in so doing clothed us in his perfect righteousness. That means we can appear directly before the creator of the universe, unblemished by sin, and no longer under the penalty of death, meted out when we first disobeyed. We can't see heaven, but we are assured of where we are headed. We are free of shame and free of guilt. His resurrection proved him not just a prophet, but the son of the living God, with authority over life and death. He emerged from that tomb victorious. Mary and the others were indeed unknowingly looking for the living among the dead, and not vice versa. 
As Christians, the resurrection is the central tenet of our faith. Without it, Jesus was a good man, a teacher, and someone who died an undeserved horrific death for absolutely no reason. In fact, as C.S. Lewis, author of Mere Christianity, purported, Jesus, who claimed to be divine, was either a liar, a lunatic, or God. Well, the resurrection would strongly suggest he was neither of the first two. Gary Habermas, Ph.D. in philosophy and well-known author, claims the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus is incontrovertible when the known facts are taken as a whole. There are five facts from Scripture which are undisputed, but also verified by local Roman authorities at the time and later historians such as Josephus, Tacitus, Lucian, Mara Barsarapian, Clement of Rome, Polycarp, Ignatius, Dionysius of Corinth, Tertullian, and Origen, among others. They are these. Number one, Jesus was crucified publicly. Number two, the disciples believed he arose from the dead and subsequently appeared to them. And then all were willing to suffer and die for that belief. Number three, the Christian persecutor Saul was suddenly converted, becoming the Apostle Paul. Four, the skeptic James inexplicably became the leader of the Jerusalem church. And five, the tomb was definitively empty that Sunday morning. Arguments that the resurrection was fraudulent are easily undermined. The disciples didn't lie or steal the body, for men will die for a lie they believe to be true, but they will never die for a lie they know to be a lie. There's no rationale for someone else stealing the body, and even if they had, it would not explain the conversions of Saul, James, and hundreds of others who claimed and later wrote about Christ's appearance to over 500 of them. Were Mary and the others at the wrong tomb? That doesn't explain their encounter with the angels, later testimonies of his appearances, nor the conversion of Paul, who never even saw the empty tomb. Was Jesus only apparently dead? Not if you read the Journal of the American Medical Association, March 21, 1986, and understand what crucifixion really means. Did the Roman or Jewish authorities remove the body? If so, all they had to do in order to destroy the fledgling faith called the way was to produce the body. One more point. Given the station of women in the ancient Middle East, it would seem an exceedingly odd choice for the writers of the Gospels to have chosen the testimony of women with regard to so essential a fact as the empty tomb. Ah, but I digress, as they say. A physician friend of mine told me why the usual sermon was like a longhorn steer, just two points far apart and a whole lot of bull in between. Well, here's what I want you to think about today. We are living through an indescribably scary time with this viral pandemic. But we're also seeing people pull together while forced to be apart. We're seeing people rediscover neighbors and families despite being unable to embrace them for the first time in their lives. We're seeing people who just recently were polarized politically, almost to the point of physical blows, come to the realization that we're literally all in this together, just six feet apart. God can make good out of bad, Genesis 50:20. We've seen it in every war our country has fought. We saw it with 9-11. We're seeing it with COVID-19. And if you're listening today, we may see it with the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Why is there reason for hope? Even non-believers know how John 3:16 starts, for God so loved the world. And Christians know that it doesn't matter what gets thrown at us. Nothing can separate us from that love. When you believe that the most powerful force in the universe, 
In fact, the force that created the universe loves you personally, and so much so that he sacrificed his son for you. Well, I can't find a better argument for hope than that. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans eight thirty five. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this beautiful world. Help us learn the lessons of COVID-19. Let it remind us that you require only two things of us ever, love you and demonstrate that by loving others. When the world is suffering, there is a great opportunity for comforters. Let your Holy Spirit open our eyes and ears to ways in which we can be exactly that. Every human fears suffering alone. Thank you that Easter reminds us we need never be alone again. Christ is in us, and his Spirit goes below us to lift us up, behind us to encourage us, above us to watch over us, beside us in friendship, and before us to lead the way. Amen. We'll see you tomorrow 